Hi, I'm Marissa. I'm Liza. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. <laughs> so, hey, hey, did you know Ocean at the End of the Lane is a play? But I think it's only in the UK, but they're trying to bring it to the US. Like it's on like the West End or something? Yeah. Like their Broadway? Yeah. I cannot imagine it as a play at all. Because I saw it and I was, I saw, he was tweeting about it. And I was like, oh my God, like Liza should go. And then I looked and I was like, oh, British stuff. Maybe I'm just not dreaming big enough, but I cannot see it as a play unless it was like highly experimental and weird. Or if it had puppets, like if it has puppets, I'll go with it. It needs to, if there's no puppets, I'm not getting behind it. I love puppets. I love puppets. And uh, I think people who are freaked out by puppets are freaks. They're wrong. They're not. Do you like Muppets? I like Muppets and puppets. Good, 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 good. I just needed to know that because I, I think I am a Muppet sometimes. Am I a man? <laughs> am I a Muppet? Am I a Muppet? That's me. I'm Walter. I see it. Thank I you. See- no, I love puppets and I love stop motion animation. Also, speaking of puppets and Muppets, everyone go watch Puppet History. <laughs> Puppet History. I feel like we basically strive to be Ryan Bergara and Shane Madej, like low key. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. I think we can achieve it. <gasps> Dude, we should start like a conglomerate. So we have Little Sleep Much Reading podcast. We should start a puppet show where it's like puppet history, but it's puppet literature and it's like schmook, schmoop or spark notes for the youth, like high schoolers. And then we should do our haunted literary series where we go to those haunted bookstores and libraries that I sent you. Yes. Genius. It's happened. It's going to be just called Little Sleep Much Reading Productions and we'll have like all our different shows. Yes. Genius. Because morbid has morbid network right we can do it we can do it's not that hard (laughs) we can do it we can do it what else is there to say so as we're recording this right now it is tuesday november 9th and happy birthday to silvio the best little boy in the whole world happy birthday silvio he's an old man how old is he four Oh, that is so cute. Mm-hmm. Also, if you guys didn't know, November is National Memoir Month. So today's episode is memoir. And I think me and Eliza talked about this last time. We're both kind of iffy with the memoir genre, but we're we're getting into it. Mm-hmm. And we both enjoyed our books that we read this week. Yes, big time. I read Taste Like War by Grace M. Cho. And I read Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward. 
it is not that I have a distaste for memoir. It's that traditionally speaking, I had a less of an interest in nonfiction. Um, I was always kind of like, if it's not like a one-off kind of essay or what have you, especially that I kind of had to read to school for school. Like I never was like seeking out um, essays kind of on my own. I was like, if I'm going to read, if I'm going to take time to read, which is something I love to do, I'm going to read um, fiction and I'm not going to read nonfiction. And I think it's because I don't know, I don't know what happened if it's a public school system thing or what, but like, there's so much focus, I think, with like testing and stuff too, on like nonfiction and like a move away from fiction that I was like, this is not really what I want to be spending my time reading. It's not fun. When I'm reading my free time, I want to read um, fiction, but I'm coming to realize um, that it, it, it really just depends on the kind of nonfiction that it is. Um, because I think kind of in the education system too, they provide you with a lot of dry nonfiction. Like I'm thinking about like, I don't know, even in my senior year of high school, we read a lot of like Foucault, I, even freshman year too at, at Pratt. They had us, listen, if you go to Pratt Institute, they're going to have you read a lot of Foucault. I think they're going to have you read some Francis Bacon your freshman year. Um, they're going to have you read a lot of Freud a lot of, I don't know what that is. It needs to be investigated and it needs to be dismantled. Um, but we also had to read a lot of the transcendentalists. A lot. Oh my God. I, 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 Hey, this is another hill I'll die on. I hate that little bitch, Henry David Thoreau. Period. Period. Fakest bitch there ever was I hate Walden his mommy was packing him lunch he wasn't actually living in the wild and then he just ruined everything for everybody else (laughs) I literally if I could go back in time and punch one person in the face I mean there's a list because there's a lot of bad people out there but one of them who's definitely not as evil as the others but still deserves a punch in the face is throughout. I would rather spend 24 hours locked in a room with Emerson than two minutes without the ability to punch Thoreau. I think I would rather read Emerson than I would Thoreau any day. Yeah, that's the correct answer. It's just correct. If anyone thinks differently, let us know so we can block you. Right. (laughs) allowed to listen anymore to the podcast nope but yeah so that was kind of like my experiences with a lot of nonfiction. and yes there was some one-off essays that I read in in school and specifically in like um, post-secondary education that I did enjoy but it was always kind of like a yeah I'm not going to spend my free time reading this until rather recently when I personally came to the conclusion that a lot of nonfiction can be really great and it all hangs in how good of a storyteller the person is. And so I've read a lot of nonfiction this year, um, none of it being real tried and true memoir um, until now. So I read um, Into Thin Air, which was my second experience with Crack Hour. And that's kind of memoir, but not really. But I I thought it was great. Um, I read From Here to Eternity by Caitlin Doty, which I loved. And again, it's more like a travel kind of book, but she does have a memoir. 
and I do want to read more of her stuff. Um, and then I read the Dogtown, um, which again has aspects of memoir mixed in, but is more so a history and a true crime. And so kind of other than random assignments for school and the writing of my peers, this is one of my first true experiences sitting down and reading memoir. And yeah, that's all I'll say until I get into my review. But what, what, how about you, Marissa? What was your kind of prior experiences with this genre? Not much, honestly. I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, the only like nonfiction I remember reading when I was younger was I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, which masterpiece, My Angelou deserves uh, everything in the world that is good and sweet. And then I was like, oh, I, and that was the only one I could really think of. Oh, I did read Death Be Not Proud, um, which I did not like by, I believe it's by John Dunn, but it was super sad. And if you don't know, it's about this poor guy whose son is like diagnosed with a tumor in his brain, a brain tumor or something. It was super duper sad, um, but I read the whole thing. Still wasn't my cup of tea. Even even like I I don't write nonfiction. I feel like I I don't think that I'm good at it. It's it's like, and so people who can do it, I really really admire them. But I think that like, it kind of goes back to what me and Liza always say: we don't like happy stories. <laughs> And if you're going to write a memoir about you, like traveling the world and like doing all these great things, I'm going to be like, eh, that's nice. If I'm, I know this sounds so horrible, but if I'm reading a memoir, it has to be something sad. Like I need that right, emotion. Or, or like at least like, and that might be like a catharsis type thing, but also like something to hang on to, if that makes any sense. Because like, it's all like we've said too, like good storytelling and it doesn't need to be sad to be good storytelling, no. But are sometimes compelling stories, stories that have very high highs and very low lows? Yeah. You know? you know what else I think it is? And it just popped in my head when you were saying that. When I'm reading a memoir, not to, to, to quote our thesis teacher, but I'm like, what are the stakes here? And I think that the stakes are usually higher when it's a sad book. And so that keeps me reading. Whereas in most, in, in a lot of other memoirs that I've read, I don't feel that. I don't feel that the stakes are high enough for you to be writing about your life. Right, right. And that, you know, it, what are the stakes? Yes, exactly. And that's why some memoir we read in school by classmates was quite compelling. But otherwise it's like, okay, like what was the reason for you to tell us about your life right and I think there's something you know when I don't know you're young and you're just like looking stuff up online and you find someone with a tumblr blog who like <laughs> actually writes blogs yeah yeah you like kind of read them and it's like you'll find a good blog that has good like quote articles in it and 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 that's interesting that you said that too because i feel like memoirs are in part a storytelling a recounting but often in part an investigation 
you know what I mean? Like we're talking about the, what is the why in terms of stakes, but also what is the why that the author is trying to find out? And yes. sometimes it's like an investigation of self, but other times it's an investigation of other per, like personal things or things that have happened to them or family history or, you know, stuff like that. And I think that makes it really compelling too, but that makes it different from like, cause I do write nonfiction for work. And then in that case, it is almost always an exploration or investigation with no personal when it's like an article, it feels like there is no personal. You know what I mean? And a memoir, it's like, for it to be very compelling, does it have to have that really, really almost heart-wrenching personal aspect to it, along with some kind of why mixed in? Does that make any sense? Yes. I'll keep mentioning this again and again, because just to jump back real quick, I like John Krakauer, even though he's kind of like a classic, um, just kind of guy. And (laughs) I used to think I really liked Into the Wild and I still do, but I read Into Thin Air and I was like, okay, this is actually a better book than Into the Wild. And it's because he was there. He Mm. had emotional stakes in the 1996 Everest disaster. He was not there when Christopher McCandless was um, doing what he was doing. So yeah, even though this person that in like a memoir, like sometimes he was actually flipping back and forth between here's just a story and here's a story I experienced, whereas sometimes people will try to tell their own story and maybe it is a story that needs to be told, but they can't, they aren't putting enough of themselves in it to make it interesting to somebody else. And do you want to know something? Yes. Okay, so this is going to sound like, why the fuck is she pulling this quote out of her ass right now? Um, (laughs) There's a quote in, I believe, John Green's Paper Towns that I thought was just freaking profound when I was a teenager. And it's something along the lines of, there is nothing more boring than other people's dreams. And I read that at like 15 and was like, holy shit. And I'm sure I reposted it on Tumblr or something. And I think he actually met like other people's dreams as in other people's aspirations, which is like kind of a crappy thing to say. But when I interpreted it, I was interpreting it as as when somebody else is relaying the dream they had to you. And I was like, why is that so true? Do you, is someone ever telling you a dream they had and you're like, you cannot for the life of you pay any attention to what they're saying yeah and you just keep zoning out because it's like it is very tangible to them and they feel as though they experienced it but it wasn't actually a tangible it wasn't a tangible thing and so you're just like zoning out in the middle of them telling you about their dream and you're like oh my god this is so fucking boring like wrap it up and they just keep going because like the dream had like so many details to it and some people can relay their dreams well because they're good storytellers and maybe there's good state, like maybe there's stakes in the, in the dream and there's like interesting form happening in the dream. And I feel like the same thing applies to memoir and nonfiction. There's nothing more boring sometimes than nonfiction, but there are these people who have these storytelling skills that make these stories really compelling and you might even be able to say the same thing too for fiction because if 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 the nuts and bolts aren't there 
it's just going to sound like somebody telling you their dream they had. Yes. Much to That's think so about. interesting. John Green. Thanks for that one, King. All right. Take it easy. I'll get into my book review. So I read Tastes Like War by Grace M. Cho, um, which is a fairly new book. It came out in May of 2021. It is a publication of the feminist press at the City University of New York, who we stan. And they followed us on Twitter the other day and we lost our damn minds. It was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. Maybe a close second was when Sparknotes, I can't remember Sparknotes, I think they just liked my tweet, but I was like, like I wanted to, I, I went to cardiac arrest. I began to pass out and my head hit the wall. So that was a little treat. This is a memoir I picked up right when it came out, I think. I picked, I think I got it in June, 2021. And it's a science copy from Greenlight Bookstore. Shout out to one of our favorite indie bookstores there ever was. But I had not gotten around to reading it yet. I kept just pushing it back and pushing it back. Not for any particular reason, just kind of life happened. And I just, it stayed in my TBR pile forever. Um, but I'm so glad that I finally got the chance to read it because this book is really amazing. Um, and just to give you kind of a little, a little summary of it, this is a memoir by Grace M. Cho, who is the daughter of a white American merchant Marine and a Korean woman. And it goes through a lot of stages of Grace's life from her growing up in Chehalis, Washington, and, you know, the struggles of being one of the few immigrant children or children of color in her specific neighborhood, you know, her experiences as a college professor, her experiences in college, but sort of the bulk of the book is about her mother who began to experience schizophrenia when Cho was only 15 years old. And it largely, like wait, we use that term investigation, but it largely kind of just investigates her mother's life and struggles with schizophrenia and her past in Korea. And another major part of it is Grace in the later stages of her mother's life, learning to cook um, Korean dishes from her mother's childhood and kind of how that helped Grace understand more about her mom. Um, and her mom's culture and you know in the end helped Grace I think learn more about herself too so with that being said I'll jump right into the review for readability I gave this book a 7.5 I think this was a very easy book to read in terms of you are just gonna gonna want to keep reading it and going going and I'll get into that maybe a little bit later with the form but we always do this disclaimer not an easy read as in it's fun um, this book is heart-wrenching, but it is a book that you will not, I think, you will not struggle by any means to get through. The writing I gave on my scale, a seven as well, clean writing, poignant language. I think, you know, kind of when we talk about like what we were saying before, I'm figuring out how I kind of want to articulate this, but like when an author throws so much of themselves into the writing, that makes it even better. Because I think sometimes people will write family histories and they will kind of remove themselves from it. And that is what I would be inclined to do. And it would not be the right choice, but it is what I, as a writer, writing down something about my family, I think I would be inclined 
to remove myself from it. And I don't know what that is and what the reason for that is, but that's kind of just like when I think, oh, if I were to write, you know, this, that, and the other, I can see myself ending up doing that. Um, but Cho does not do that by any means. You can hear her, which I think is always important. And I'm not even like, it's not even as if the language is super flowery and super poetic or anything like that. It is very straightforward and, and, and pretty conversational at times, but it just feels like somebody telling you something. And I think we miss that often, even in fiction. And so that's why I think that sometimes actually nonfiction from a gifted storyteller is really refreshing because it's like, okay, you're sitting with a person you are sitting with a person and they are telling you something. And instead of like jumping into a world and kind of being immersed in a world, at the same time, I'll get to this later when I talk about characters, but Cho does drop you in scene and she does give you dialogue specifically from her mother and you can hear her mother too. So this book is not, the writing style here is not without scene. It's not without dialogue even though it does feel like somebody, you know, relaying such personal stuff to you. In terms of the form, I gave this book a 6.5. We've talked about this before, and I think I mentioned this when I had read Dogtown by Alyssa East, uh, which is not necessarily a memoir, but there's something about flipping back and forth between time periods that I just really appreciate. I think in nonfiction specifically, it can become stagnant if you go in, in, a, in a timeline order, which is not necessarily the case for all writing. Once again, like I think fiction is interesting when you jump back and forth too, but also it's, it's different in that the chronological order is sometimes necessary for the plot. But in nonfiction, I'm always kind of like, why would you when you, why would you do that when you could not do it? <laughs> and so um, Cho does not put things in chronological order. She, I'm trying to see where she begins. She starts in 2008 and then she jumps around, whether it be the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 2000s again, the late 2000s, almost present day, the 90s, the 2000s again, the 70s again. Like she's really jumping around. And I think in this case, it works very well. And it did feel like a line. Like it didn't feel like, oh, now I have to remember, you know, this, that, and the other. Like, it was all driving you to one point. And she put every time period at the right spot. It was almost more like when you're reading, okay, so exposition, right? We love exposition, but we hate exposition because sometimes exposition gets in the way of the actual story. And more so, I feel like we, and I say we as like a collective unknown, but also we as in like Marissa and I, um, like it when that sort of, exposition is sprinkled throughout and I think you can do that in a memoir I think you can provide the reader with what they need right at the very beginning which could be the future it could be present day then go back to the past and then flip back and forth and everything is going in a line everything is driving you to one point and the reason you keep jumping back or jumping forward is because that is the exposition you require in that moment, if that makes any sense. And I think that Cho does that 
very, very well here. The book is also separated into different parts. So, you know, this is not a book you're going to read in one day. And so I think it is always nice when a book is separated into parts, and especially this book in particular, like you might need a little breather every now and again. And she has separated it into parts that I think make the book super digestible to the reader. So there's that in terms of form. In terms of shelf worthiness, I, I gave this book a six. Um, I think you should buy it. Um, I think you should, should support Grace M. Cho as an author. I think you should, you should support the feminist press. I think you should support a indie bookstore. But I also do think it is like a, a book you're going to want to have. Again, not necessarily. The reason I did it a six is not, I don't know if I would reach for this book again, but you do never know. Um, and I feel like it is a book that you could lend to or recommend to somebody else for any array of reasons, you know, whether they're interested in some of the themes in this book, whether, you know, there's some, but also because if you come across another friend that isn't necessarily interested in memoir, I feel as though this is a good book to be like, pull off the shelf and be like, yo, like you should read this. So yeah, I definitely don't think it's like a book that you'll be fine borrowing or whatever. I mean, you could, but I think, I think you'll, you'll want this book. And as we always say, the cover is actually stunning. It's all flowers and mushrooms because Cho's mom was a for like she would go into the forest and forage for mushrooms and blackberries and stuff. And yeah, it's like a gorgeous green and it has this like red blood splatter over like the war section of it. Oh, so this is something I kind of forgot to mention. If you don't have the context is that the time that the that her mom was coming to America was around the time of the Korean War, um, which also the United States had a hand in. And so I think that that is the kind of background of the title in terms of like the cultural food, but also kind of in the terms of like a war as like a mental health war, I think it kind of comes into play too. And also like the a war of, I don't know, self. And I don't know how I want to articulate this, but like, her experiences in both the, both her mother and her experiences in America and family experiences too. Like, I think this like title is very all encompassing of a lot of things that happen in this book, but I just wanted to give that context because I did forget to mention that. So now that we know what I think of the shelf worthiness for plot, I gave this book an eight. I think it is kind of hard to talk about plot in terms of memoir because this is someone's life you're talking about but also it's like we said this that like there are some stories that need to be told whether it be for other people to understand those stories or whether it is a catharsis of like somebody having a need that they felt they need to write they needed to write it but also that somebody will come across this book and experience catharsis from it um I think that's really important or just like they, they experience, they relate to it or, you know, anything like that. So there's that note, but also there's the note we were talking about that like if there's the right stakes or if this person is simply a good storyteller, it's likely that the plot, no matter what it is, is gonna be good. But again, I say like calling this a plot feels kind of wrong because it's somebody's life here. Like this is their life. You don't want to talk about it really in the same way that you talk about fiction plots. What I will say is I think everything comes together 
her writing style, the form, the story itself comes together really well in the plot of this book. And, you know, like I am kind of at a loss for how to talk about it, but I will, I don't know. I'm trying to think about how I want to talk about this. Cause also you'll find I wept while reading this book. I cried. I was on the subway and I was reading this one specific part. And I literally was like, I was weeping, like actually. Um, And when I finished the book, I cried too. It is sad. It's heartbreaking. And like, I think I mentioned this before, but like Cho gives you, she gives you kind of a piece of herself and it's not a, I don't think it's really, it's not a spoiler to say that her mom passed away and the part where her mom passes away was one of the toughest things I've ever had to read in my entire life. And I don't know, I don't know what it was like, it was the way she was writing it, but also like, if you're somebody with a mom or you're somebody with a parent, that part of the book and the way she writes it is literally going to break you uh, in two. And the ending is the same exact way that you were like, I'm broken and I like, I don't know what I'm doing next. Um, And, but that's not the only plot. Like there are these other moments sprinkled throughout. And yes, it is mostly kind of about her and her experiences with her mom, but we do get these life experiences from her too. And I don't know, I think she just does a really tasteful job at mixing in, here's my mom's life. Here's my life. Here's this food aspect of it and what food means about history and what food means in terms of culture. And then, you know, this historical, this family investigation. And then a a big part of it is this investigation of mental health and her mom's struggle with schizophrenia. Um, And I like this sort of description that you see on the back of the book, but also when you buy it, is that like, what broke this woman, her mother, what broke her, and also what kept her alive. There was just so many things coming together in this book that I don't know, like it's, it's all working very well. And parts of it are so, so painful. And parts of it are going to be more relatable to some than others. But that does not mean that you should not read it. If you don't relate, because you know, there, this is a a big, a great deal in immigrant story. This is a great deal, certainly going to be relatable to Korean Americans, um, Asian American, like I said, immigrants in general, but like, you don't have to relate to a memoir, like you don't, you shouldn't be like, Oh, like, I don't want to read that memoir, because I don't relate to it. Like, that is just not of reason you ever want to give. Like I said, like I broke down when she was talking about her mom, but also like you're, you're learning something and you're experiencing something with somebody else and how grateful you should be that somebody was like, I'll, I'll give you that. Like, I will write about this so that you can read it. Like what a kind of treasure, I guess that is and privilege that is. So I kind of wanted to mention that as well. And then what a privilege, too, that somebody gives you the characters from their life. And I'll take that and say that I gave this book a nine for characterization. You really feel like you begin, you are invested and begin to understand Grace and her mom and her brother, um, her father, who kind of becomes like a 
a vile figure, but he's very, you know, like the characters are very, they're real people. So again, you cannot talk about it in the same way you talk about, you know, I feel like so many times when we are talking about fiction, we're like, oh, these people are very three-dimensional. I feel like I know them. And it's like, I don't know these people. I'm never going to know these people. And I will not claim to know these people. All that being said, I think that Cho just does a really great job of having you invested specifically in her and her mother. Yeah, she writes, she writes her own, the own people in her life. Like, again, like, I I just want to keep thinking like, wow, like what a thing to like, what a thing to do (laughs) to, to describe your own mother in such a way. And then, and then let other people experience that. It's just, wow. Again, I'm thinking about that last chapter, like it's just kind of stuck in my head. Like, oh my God. Um, It might even be, I think you should buy the book. I think you should read the whole book, but let me check something. Cheeseburger season, which is the last chapter, a portion of the chapter was originally published in East Asian Mothering Politics and Practices. So maybe you can find a bit of that section, but I don't actually think it includes the full chapter and you need that full chapter. And I also think you need that chapter after having read the entire book itself for it to hit in the way that it does. Every character in this book is kind of like, I'm, I'm even thinking about it. I'm like, there's this one moment with like, where Cho is even talking about like her Palestinian student driving her home from class in Staten Island to Brooklyn and like, she's only in it for a second but it's like in a memoir you can have characters and 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 in a memoir you have to not waste them in the same way you cannot waste them in fiction everybody needs to be important in one way or another and she does that and she does that well and she brings their voices through their dialogue well and when certain people are taken from her you almost like I don't want to like again like those are her life experiences but like like you are like oh my god like I I'm so sorry (laughs) like um so yeah this book is really great and that was my thoughts on it and I'm really glad that Marissa brought up that this month was memoir month or else who knows how long it would have taken me to get around to um reading this really great book wow so you just kind of want to like sit with it and just be like "Mm mm-hmm Yeah. I think our two memoirs specifically feel uniquely like a hug in the sense that like they are sharing something with you that is so personal and emotional a lot of times and how nice and grateful we should be to them for that. Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward. And yeah, this book is also really sad. Published in 2013. And let me just say, while I was reading this, I was like, this had to have just been published. I don't like something about it felt so relevant, which like she says dates in it. So like I knew that it was like a long time coming, but I was like, she must have really processed this for a while before she started writing. And she did like almost 10 years before she started writing the story. But I don't know, something about it felt so fresh. 
which I think is both a good thing in her writing, but a bad thing for the content. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute. Jasmine Ward has five other books besides this one. And because she only has five, I'm just gonna read them off real quick. Um, she has Where the Line Bleeds, Salvage the Bones, The Fire This Time, Navigate Your Stars, and then her newest book is Sing, Unburied, Sing. So she is of mixed heritage. She's Black, she is Choctaw, Haitian, and then she's also white. And this book takes us on, I don't want to say her journey because it is her journey, but it has her experiences with other people in it. And I think it's very much a journey of the South, too, that we can get into. So this book is about the deaths of five men or boys, however you want to look at it, who were close to her. And their deaths seemed fairly unconnected, even though they all knew each other or knew of each other in one way or another. Um, but the way she sets this story up with their circumstances and the ways of the place of DeLille, Mississippi, you kind of reconsider that they're not connected. She definitely is using this book to put a spotlight on the community and um, on, I guess, the unfairness of the South. And why don't we jump right into this rating scale? So for readability and interest, I gave this an eight. It is a book that you need to put down at times. Not only do you need um, the emotional break, but you kind of just need the words to settle in with you. You need to, at least for me, I learned a lot when I read this book. And I think that you need to let yourself think about the things that are happening and what it means. You need to remember that these are real people and these settings and stories and moments and scenes, they're all real and they actually happen. You have to sit there and process the racism and the sexism and the classism and how horribly unjust it all is. And it's, it's just really important to let yourself actually think about what Jasmine is telling us. This book was a pretty steady read. I would be reading for what felt like only like five minutes and then somehow an hour went by and I was 60 pages were just like crushed and it was so good. I just, I like wanted to stay with these people and keep reading about them. This book gets a nine for language and style. She, Ward is amazing. I don't know how this is the first book that I've read from her. She, amazing. Um, she really knows how to present you with the perfect moments that help you understand and become attached to these people. I'm a white girl. And while I understand racism and that it happens, I know that I can never understand it as a person of color does. But she does her best to kind of cue you into these really little moments and then open it to a bigger picture. I don't know. I guess she's just like, she highlighted small things about systemic racism that I simply have the privilege to never consider. She also describes scenes really wonderfully. She brings you into these places that she loved and she describes their beauty. This book felt more than a memoir to me. I can't exactly pinpoint what it was. I think just because of how 
beautiful an emotion it was, it, it automatically feels like something more. So I kind of omitted form because there's not much of it, but I guess I will kind of talk about it in plot. So hold that thought. For shelf where they give this a nine, uh, this story, these stories within this book, they deserve to be told. It deserves to be read and consumed and thought about and cried over and held close. It deserves a place on a shelf. Jasmine deserves this book to be in people's hands and on their shelves. I think this is a book that can open you up and kind of expand your thinking. So go buy it and go let yourself know the stories of these people. So for plot, I gave this a nine. Again, it feels weird to call something real a plot, but I guess in this case, I'm not really writing the story. I'm writing the way that she told it. Um, and so every other chapter focuses on one of the men or boys who died, starting with the most recent and moving backwards, while the other chapters focus on Jasmine's childhood and her parents navigating through the South and how that shaped her. So one thing that I really, really enjoyed about this book is the table of contents is almost set up like a poem. Or, okay, if we count the prologue as chapter one, then every odd chapter is one of the boys, and every even chapter is her childhood, but it's this is how it's set up. Prologue, we are in Wolftown. Roger Eric Daniels III, we are born, Damon Cook, we are wounded, Charles Joseph Martin, we are watching, Ronald Wayne Hosanna, we are learning, Joshua Adam Dedeau, and we are here. Something about it is very poem to me. And again, I just said all of the deceased boys names and even just like reading them is so like ugh, it, ugh. but they obviously these are names that need to be said like I said this is a book that needs to be read so we are in Wolftown <laughs> starts the story off um, with her parents and them meeting and her being born um, and then Roger Eric Daniels the third is the first boy that is talked about in the book, but he was the last one to have died. And so it's like she's writing from two different sides of a timeline and closing in until they meet, which is a really interesting way to do it. Each chapter about a boy is about her experiences with them. It is how they met um, when they were hanging out, things that they would do leading up to their eventual deaths, things like that. And you very much get to be, like Liza said, I don't wanna say that I know them. It's not like, oh, I get to know them. It's not that, it's you get to know like how she saw them kind of. It's like you get to have these really great moments of them hanging out and it, it helps you to understand these boys. Um, and in the chapters that are about her and her family, you're cued into kind of how 
it is for how it was for her family in the South, um, how it is kind of cyclical and how families want to end the cycles that the families before them went through and it's just not easy. But because of that, when she gets, because she's explaining these to us as chapters go on, when it gets to the chapters with these boys who some of them are down on their luck, some of them make poor choices, some of them get caught up in bad things. But because she has laid it out for us, there's a a kind of understanding and um, a sadness that comes with it. It is, it's really sad but she does it really, really well. For characterization, I gave this a nine. Not going to call them characters, but these people. I definitely, in a way, like I fell in love with them. They're people who I feel like I'm going to think about and carry around their stories for a while. They do feel like, you know, friends of friends who I got to know or something like that, who I, I don't know, just even had the privilege of hearing their story. She knows the perfect moments to present you with that that I don't know make you feel close to them and it's not they're not always moments that show these the boys in a positive light or even all the characters and or all the people in a positive light but she provided she provided the context that gave a deeper understanding to them so the first boy to die but the one whose story we hear last is her brother And I I had teared up at a lot of the other boys' story because, again, she presents them with, she presents us with them first. And, you know, she met one of the boys when he was nine years old and she was his camp counselor and they would joke around. The other one was like her sister's boyfriend. And she introduces you to these characters and then just slowly shows you how these poor things happened and to be with her brother getting him in the chapters that weren't specifically about the boys and then having him die at the end it was like a gut punch and I literally I just finished this book last night sobbed in my bed after I I was like "You, you just can't help but feel so horrible for her and the people of this community who they just, these are people she knows. These are her friends. This is her brother, her cousins. These are people who she would see all the time. She would hang out with. And then it's just like one day they're just gone and it's no one's fault. Like there's no one to blame except circumstance and how horrible that is. But despite this book completely uh, breaking my heart, I do think that people need to read it. This is probably one of the best books I have read this year. Definitely like in the top five. It was so good. It was beautifully written. I feel like I grew as a person from reading it. You know, I learned and I opened up my mind by reading it. And I also learned these, these stories I doubt she's ever going to hear this podcast, but if she does, uh, I'm sending her all my love. I'm sending her the biggest hug in the world, even though she doesn't know me. And I think she deserves better. 
and the people of Delo, Mississippi deserve better and all these boys deserved better. And I think that we owe them better. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. Wow. Mm -hmm. First of all, I wanna read this book so bad. Um, but second of all, that is so sad. You could just see how it's just like, it's all systemic and it's yeah. all yeah. cyclical and it's literally made to keep them exactly where they are. And it's right. so sad. Right. I'm also like thinking about this too. Like, look at, like, here are two incredible books, incredible memoirs by women of color. Um, women of color from like, like, Women, in co women of color in general, historically, grossly underrepresented voices. Um, and it, it's like, it's like these women are sharing their stories and they're, please support them in every way that you can um, by buying their memoirs and reading their memoirs. But, you know, Jessamyn Ward has other works too and like supporting her as a fiction writer as well. But it also makes me think about how like so many times women of color didn't get a chance to share their stories or the stories of the people they know. And it's like, that's an issue. Like we talk about, like, it's a huge issue because we have talked about before too, like, especially genre fiction, but all fiction, too white, too dominated by cisgender, heterosexual white men I don't need a fucking memoir by another cis white man I don't need it but like support these women who are sharing their stories with you and for the a lot a lot of the time for the first time in history even having the opportunity to share both their nonfiction and their fiction with you in the first place like there just needs to be more of that but that was all just a long-winded way to be like support women of color when they are sharing their stories listen to them please if you guys don't support her stop the films i'm stop done the films stop the films <laughs> stop the films stop the films bro stop the films <laughs> oh my gosh i'm so sad i know I'm like very sad. Well, that was that on that, and that, that was that on that. Um, hey folks, next week is a holiday, and fuck the pilgrims, but it is Thanksgiving next week. Yeah, we're gonna eat food, and that's the point. We are going to eat so much food. We're all gonna get into a turkey coma. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. That that turkey coma hits different. There's nothing like a couch nap on Thanksgiving. It's over. It has to be that. It has to be wake up, uh, start cooking, turn on the parade, keep cooking, eat that food at an ungodly early hour. It's like, huh? But also a little later than you thought you were going to eat it because it's taking too long for you to cook. Then you pass out on the couch. It's already dark out because it's daylight savings time. You wake up in a in a daze 
at like 7 p.m. And you're like, it's pie time. What? And then it's Christmas the next day, basically. Yeah. Hanukkah, I'm, for those that don't know, I am Jewish, starts right after Thanksgiving this year, it's which is so sick. rare. It might even be, might even start around Thanksgiving, which I don't think has ever happened in, in times when I can remember. And it starts actually after Thanksgiving. It starts on the 29th. So we brought up Thanksgiving because we're going to talk about what we were reading. Right. <laughs> and so uh, Thanksgiving feast. 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 So we figured it would be fun to do a feast week. Feast week. Next week. So Liza, would you like to say what you're reading? I am reading The Council of Animals by Nick McDonald. And I am reading a book that was sent to me by the lovely author, Jonathan Edward Durham, and it's called Winterset Hollow. And I believe it's very new. Yeah, mine is very new too. They both seem great. So pick them up and we'll talk about them with you next week. Let's see. Next week. We're going to be eating mashed potatoes while we do it. You know, put us in your ears and listen to us while you take a nap. That's so fun. Like you can listen to Little Sleep Much Reading as you begin to pass out. Um, You could listen to us while you're making your, um, I don't know, what do do people make? Stuffing. Stuffing. I know a lot of people do that sweet potato with the marshmallows on top. I do not do that, but it looks fun. You know what my mom made uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to ask her to make it again? What? She made potato salad. I love potato salad. But instead of using regular potatoes, she tried it with sweet potatoes, and it was so friggin' good. I love So friggin' good. That sounds so good. So everyone, go make sweet potato. Go make potato salad with sweet potatoes. Okay. I'll sign. Hey, anything Marissa's mom cooks, I'm going to have it. It's bomb. <laughs> Um, I love, pick- I'm also like, I'm a pickly bitch. Like, oh my God, I love, hot girls love pickles. And listen to this. If you don't like pickles, you're not hot. Period. End of story. It's like a scientific fact. Like if, if you don't love pickles, you're not hot. And I'm so sorry if that's the first time you're hearing this, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, think about anyone, you know, who doesn't like pickles, not hot. Hot girls eat pickly pickles, hot pickles, bread and butter hot pickles. Oh, the little, the, the baby pickles, but the sweet Gherkins. ones. Gherkins. Gherkins. Sweet Gherkins. Half sours. Like, posting up to the pickle function, eating the pickles, it doesn't stop. End of podcast. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? Uh, that, uh, there's nothing else to say here. All right. Come on, <laughs> folks. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm stopping this. Ribs, 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 ribs.